Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Before we get to today's show, let's start with a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online. July is underway and it's a great month for sports, especially if you're into sports betting. Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. The NBA Finals are now over, but the MLB is heading into the second half of its season and there's plenty of action to get involved with. You can also bet on where you think the Olympic team, well, any of the Olympic teams, but especially the Team USA basketball team, uh, whether or not they're even going to medal this year. And if you're a football better, well, there's tons of futures and props that you can wager on as well. BetOnline has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or first pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And now, let's get to today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Larry is still hitting the EYBL circuit with his son, so he's uh, touring around the country a little bit here, getting some some youth hoops in in his place today. I am joined by Deputy Managing Editor of Bulls Forever, Kevin Broom. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, I figured if anybody was sort of well-positioned to talk Wizards draft prospects, you would be the guy, and, and we're getting close to the draft. It's this Thursday night, so uh, this will probably go out Tuesday morning for folks, so give you two full days there to, to really get up to speed before draft night, but we're going to talk a, a little bit about just sort of how to evaluate prospects and, and how sort of the rankings that folks see on, on Bullets Forever or the, uh, you know, the reviews we've given of these prospects, where they come from, and Kevin, you use a unique way of going about this uh, tool called Yoda that you've come up with. Can you explain a little bit uh, what that is for, for anybody not familiar? Yeah. So a few years back, uh, probably 10, 12 years ago, I was frustrated, shall we say, with how badly the Wizards were drafting. And I was curious whether it was possible to use publicly available information to construct basically a statistical model to predict who would be good NBA players and perhaps beat the way that the Wizards were doing it. And, uh, you know, right away I ran into all kinds of challenges. Um, Level of competition is really important. Mm -hmm. Age turned out to be a really important factor as well. Um, And so it's been, it's evolved. It's been, I've changed a bunch of times uh, how I do different things. So, um, you know, players who ranked really high, like the first year, some of those guys dropped um, when I, as I made revisions to the, the underlying formula, nothing about them changed. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it's got its shares of hits and misses. I mean, it's certainly no worse than Ernie Rumsfeld was. Um, I would imagine it's probably not worse, just law of averages. No, it's, it's I mean, it's fine. It, it does okay. It's got its hits and misses. I mean, like one of the big misses was like, for example, was Jalen Brown, um, you know, because Jalen didn't do much in college. He wasn't that good in college. But uh, the, the scouts could recognize the physical abilities and some of the skills and that weren't converting into on-court production. And he's turned out to be a very good NBA, NBA player. The thing I like about this is I watch like a stupid amount of college basketball throughout the year, and I'm not putting any any real numbers behind it. And I would say more times than not, when, when I roll through what you write, I'm like, yeah, I feel about the same. You know, like you might have late 20s for somebody and I'm like, yeah, I take them late lottery. Like never like a huge discrepancy of like, I mean, every once in a while there's there's somebody that's that's totally off. And, and I think everybody's got sort of their own, you know, sort of pet prospects every once in a while and stuff like that. You and I for the last two years, for example, have both been really uh, high on Joel or Ayayi from uh, from Gonzaga, I think yeah. higher than most. But 
Uh, that's one that's made me feel good that, that you've got some numbers to at least back up what I've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, that is funny because I watch almost no college basketball at all. I, this year, I might have watched, you know, half a game, sure. seriously. And so when I'm analyzing the numbers, what I say about the players is almost exclusively drawn from the, the crunching the numbers, looking at the numbers. There are a few players like uh, I usually try to use the combine data for <laughs> athletic measures um, because that's objective times. Now, there's some stuff, you know, players find ways to cheat different um, different uh, measures. And then there are also, I know that there are coaches who work with players specifically on acing the, you know, doing really well at some of the, the tests and those work out very well for them. Mm-hmm. So I recognize there's limited value. So I do end up watching, you know, some tape, um, some video at, you know, as I'm getting through just to try to evaluate usually athleticism and usually for players who are not, don't go to the combine yeah. or really participate so there, there's some guys like they get measured or something like that but they don't they don't do the times you know the timing and the jump the jumping or there are other guys who just don't even show up at all so i try to gauge um their height and their 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 effective height and athleticism based on that so somebody like alperin shangun that's been mentioned uh, mentioned you know with the wizards a couple times you know tommy likes his international prospects maybe maybe that gets him some uh extra buzz in the mock drafts for us but he's a guy that nobody has like official measurements on and I've seen anywhere from he's six, nine with a six, nine wingspan to, well, now he's grown to six eleven, and he suddenly got a seven, two wingspan. Yeah. I, you know, I actually talked to a player that played in his league this year and said, uh, he's much closer to six, nine and, and the wingspan might be shorter than that, but that's not particularly objective unless they're, uh, they're standing their arms spread with each other. But yeah. how do you kind of factor in that sort of Delta for a guy? Yeah, well, it, I factor it in. And so with Sengun, I pretty much assumed the worst. Okay. Um, because he was so, he, he's, I got to say, he's wildly productive, mm-hmm. just crazy productive yeah. uh, across the board. Like, you know, I've heard people criticize him for, you know, not being, not having this and not having that. I've heard specifically he's not a good passer. You know, it's funny. He actually averaged more. That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, I've, when I've watched him, I've watched plenty of tape on him, primarily because the, the opinion, I've heard everything from he's terrible, like he's not a good player at all, sure. to he's great, right? And so I've, I've tried to watch him in addition to crunching the numbers on him. But like, I mean, he gets had more assists or basically the same number of assists per 40 minutes as Denny Avdia. Yeah. And Denny is supposed to be this terrific playmaker, right? right? Exactly. And, you know, I watch Sengun's, I watched several of his full games and I see him get doubled in the post, and make really effective passes out of there. Um, I've seen him, you know, make the pass out, repost and score. And, you know, he's certainly got a really good low post game. It reminds me a little bit of Mikhail in terms of his, yeah. uh, you know, his moves, his counters, his, mm-hmm. just his array of tricks. and Footwork's really good. Yeah. So, I mean... I don't know whether he has the size and athleticism to be an effective NBA player, uh, but players that productive. See, this is one of the other things with Yoda, which, by the way, stands for it's short for Ye Old Draft Analyzer, because I was building this actually while I was talking about it on a message board. Mm-hmm. And I kept jokingly referring to it as Ye Old Draft Analyzer. Somebody just shortened it to Yoda. And that was like, oh, it works well, out pretty good. That's that's good. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, so one of the reasons why I think that statistical evaluation ultimately ends up working reasonably well for forecasting players, or should at least be part of forecasting players, is because generally speaking, the best players at lower levels become the best players at the upper levels, right? You know, the best high school players become the best college players become the best pros. And that's almost always the case. There, there are exceptions, of course, in, but the statistical evaluation should attempt to find them. And usually you, you don't find a player who like sucked in college and then becomes a star. You know, they might suck in college and then work like crazy mm-hmm. or be okay in college and work like crazy and become decent in the NBA. So, you know, a guy like Garrett Temple comes to mind where he wasn't much good. He was okay in college and then he, he wasn't much good, but he worked like crazy and he, he caught on and, and, had a career, you know. 
And I would imagine the older you get, the less likely that becomes to find an older player who wasn't very good in college that that has any kind of NBA success. Is that? Yeah, you don't really hear about guys suddenly becoming like, you know, I'm 26 and now I'm so much better at basketball than I was at 20, you know, you know, if you weren't any good at 20. (laughs) So so that's the thing I wonder about with Shingun. Like I I would, anybody that says he's not good or not productive, I, I think should just spend like one one afternoon and just roll through some tape, but, uh, and he can pass and, and he's got great post moves. So I, I think all those things are fair. I do wonder a little bit about how stylistically maybe that translates, yeah. you know, just in terms of how much our team's going to be able to kind of like fit him into a ready-made role. You know, most bigs now play sort of pretty well-defined, you're a rim protector or you're a floor spacer and, and he isn't really either yet but to your point I, I think the case for is if he can put up numbers like that at that age in a you know in a very good league there's a pretty high likelihood that he'll find a way to be successful and productive and continue to grow and adapt yeah, so. yeah. and also keep in mind he turned 19 yesterday yep so i Not mean bad. he dominated a, a good turkish league um at 18 years old that's obviously like the biggest case for I, I'm not as high on him as you are just because I do kind of question that fit but somewhere in the lottery I, I think a guy that young uh, with that kind of skill set it, it makes sense to to take a shot on because you do see every once in a while he'll like uh, dribble between his legs a couple of time around the NBA three-point line and like pull a step back and bury it and you're like oh oh shit can he can he do that more often um and in that particular right. league it's you know, like he, he played against uh, on Turk Telecom, like Kyle Wilcher that went to Kentucky and then Gonzaga, who is more of a shooter. But even in that league, he plays as sort of a post up big. So you you also have to factor in style of play there just because they don't let him shoot a bunch of threes. Also doesn't mean that he can't. So he did only shoot. He did only shoot 20 percent from sure. three last season, sure. but the, low volume, right? low, very low volume. And um, to the point where, you know, a few more makes and. He's not, but there doesn't particularly look to be anything wrong with his, yeah, his stroke. And, you know, probably here's the thing with a lot of those guys, um, you know, if, if they just, if they work on it, they, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll shoot it more. I mean, you, you just get used to shooting it if you shoot more of them. Yeah. We had uh, Ryan Richmond on last summer and he talked about just, you know, everybody's favorite wizard to talk about from the last decade, but Otto Porter, uh, favorite yeah. polarizing player, but how much time they just spent you know, working on, on just him, him getting up reps. Cause he had never really shot beyond like 17 feet before on a regular basis. And yeah. it, it just took like the actual shots and, and it didn't really need any retooling of the jumper or anything like that. And I, I think that's probably more the case uh, for Shingun. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in one of your recent articles, you talked about wizards needs in sort of priority order here, starting small forward, better production at power forward, backup guards, preferably one with size and athleticism and an overall upgrade in talent production. Yeah. So pretty much everything. And <laughs> I, I find no fault in, in any of those arguments. And I think that's probably the, I, I would maybe say backup guard with size and athleticism and somebody that can play a little bit of point of attack D I would put ahead no, the yeah. power forward need personally, but the, I mean, it's, it's splitting hairs at that point. They'll take whatever they can get. I think. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that my view on the power forwards is probably a little different than I think a lot of people's. And that is that, you know, Rui Hachimura was below average last season. And mm-hmm. so is Davis. Davis has topped out at basically league average, yep. at least in my analysis. And Rui has, you know, he was about average last season and uh, as a rookie. And then this season he took a step back. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, it could be that you know Rui comes in and he he solves that power forward if he just gets to league average or something and Davis Bertans gets back to league average then they, they will have done what I wanted what I suggest anyway. I totally with you that they didn't get what they wanted out of that spot last year, but to, with the point you just made, I, I think there's a better pathway to them getting production from one of those two guys than there is Ish Smith resigning and suddenly yeah. being five inches bigger and. Yeah, right. And, and able to, or, you know, uh, can Neto even dunk? Like, I'm not sure I've actually seen it. Hmm. Good uh, question. As good, as good as he was for stretches this season or important as, as they, 
as he was to them this season, you know, uh, somebody that that could actually um, block a shot from the guard position or something, you know, like I do kind of miss the occasional John Wall uh, chase down block. Yeah, they could. I just I think they could use a guard who's like six, five and Mm -hmm. can jump a little. And, you know, somebody with a little bit of athleticism that you can play at three if you need to and can can play the shooting guard kind of that. uh, a, a wing, it's sort of a Garrison Matthews size, but with yeah. actual like athleticism, you know, NBA level athleticism. Uh, so, so one of the names that I liked in that mold, uh, as a guy you talked about also recently, is Miles McBride from West Virginia. I, I'm like in the tank for him, and I think he's going to be everything that everybody wants Davion Mitchell to be. Uh, just I buy the shot more. I think he is more athletic. He's a little bigger. He's got super long arms. And I just also buy that if you played for Bob Huggins, you're probably got a little MF or to you. And I yeah. think the Wizards could use a little bit of that. What, what did Yoda say about Miles McBride? So I had him, what I I think I have him like 14th, 15th overall. Okay. Um, I, I think he's a good looking prospect. Um, you know, he doesn't finish well inside mm-hmm. or he didn't as a sophomore anyway. Sure. But he's a good shooter, over 80% from the free, from the free throw line, over 40% from three. And, you know, he rebounds a little bit for his size and he, 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 he's a good playmaker and, you know, he does defend too. So if you're looking for a, a backup point guard to develop, uh, especially with, you know, Westbrook having like two years left on the deal, I mean, he, he'd be a nice guy to pick up if you can get him. And low turnover too, which was really yeah. interesting to watch because you almost expect somebody with those kind of tools that, you know, is a little faster or more athletic than the rest of his teammates and younger, he might make some, some dumb choices, but he yeah, really he didn't almost, do that. He was almost three to one assist to turnover. So yeah, he, I agree. He's good to good decision. Make. I just think he's going to be a really solid pro. And I think he could be, you know, come in and probably be a backup at first and then eventually grow into being, um, you know, a, a potentially a starter. I've seen what I've kind of taken from Tommy Shepard's comments and most of his draft picks, at least the first rounders are that he's looking for somebody that could probably come in and play some amount of minutes right away, Mm -hmm. but also still has that, you know, upside left to, to reach. And, And I think McBride is one of those kind of guys, like he could come in and actually play some minutes next year and, if you're an athletic guard, I mean, Russell Westbrook is not a terrible guy to to go out and watch play. I mean, I hope he doesn't pick up some of the bad habits there, but there's probably a, a lot of good things he can learn also. So is 15 out of the realm of possibility? No, no, not at all. Um, I, I mean, I would certainly consider it would depend on what happens with the board ahead, because, sure. you know, if um, somebody like Corey Kispert is still there, or, you know, if Moses Moody drops or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm just trying to think of who else might drop if Sengun is sitting there. I mean, I understand Sengun does not fit a need immediately, but his potential upside is huge. And then you could also then start trading away Thomas Bryant, uh, who's going to be entering the last year of his deal and uh, maybe get a, a, a wing, a young wing or a young backup guard or something like that. So that, that that at least gives you some options, but I, I would certainly be willing to put him in the mix there. Yeah. I, I hope it's somebody they at least consider. And, and the other thing Shepard's shown is that he's not afraid to say, Hey, that's my guy. The mocks might have him at 25, but I'm going to take him, you know, uh, 10 spots higher than that. So I actually kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, he, he blew off the notion of, of kind of ever trading down because if you can get your guy, get your guy and don't risk it, which, I don't know that I totally love, uh, you know, as many assets as you can collect, the better, but uh, I, I am for getting the guy you want. If you're really sold that that's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, if you, if you've decided, yes, this guy can play, go ahead and, and pick him, you know, but at the same time, you know, if you're, if you're going to try to leverage an asset, you know, if you could trade down five spots and pick up sure. an extra second round pick or something in this draft and still get miles McBride. You know, if you can get him at 20 and you also can get pick, I don't know, 40 and get somebody else, get Joel Ayayi in that mm-hmm. spot or something, then you've probably done pretty well. Just given where they are cap wise, I think this draft's important for them because they're going to have to get some amount of guys that can actually 
set foot on court for them next season and and do so relatively cheaply. Yeah, they they need to fill some holes, and it, the the starting small forward spot is a big one. You know, they may hope to go in with Optia, but they need to also get somebody who can provide some insurance in case Danny uh, basically plays the way that he did last season, which was replacement level. And um, you know, he he had some nice moments and that kind of stuff, but they I do think that they they need to bring in somebody else to compete with him for minutes in that spot and. I think if it's somebody that's good, if it's a, you know, if it's Gary Trent, Trent will take minutes from him. Yeah, agreed. I think I'm probably a little lower on Avdia than most. I actually see like his best path to success as, you know, for the Wizards is probably as like a power forward off the bench. You know, it gives him an opportunity to capitalize on some mismatches a little bit more. The shooting is a little less important. The ball handling is more of a plus skill. And he's re- you know, relatively strong for like a dude his age. So I think he can probably hold up with a lot of backup fours. Uh, yeah, so- you know, it's funny because I, I've had that same thought that mm-hmm. his long-term future is probably playing four. I think even playing four, he could be a playmaking four theoretically. Sure. But I do think he still needs to shoot it better. Absolutely. And um, I, his ball handling to me still looks a little theoretical. Yeah, he, but he can't his, dribble with his left hand. I haven't seen yeah, his left hand. Is, he can't dribble with his left hand against defensive pressure. I mean, he can obviously do it, sure. but when he's pressured, he, he's got to pick the ball up, and uh, that's not good. <laughs> For, and that's the exact reason why I'm totally with you. The, the most glaring need is the small forward position, and I think most of the uh, mock draft analysts out there from the major publications all sort of agree with that. So just to run down the you know the consensus here. ESPN has Virginia uh, wing Trey Murphy. CBS has Jalen Johnson. The Ringer has Moses Moody. A lot of these places, the Athletic, Tankathon, Bleacher Report, or no, not Bleacher Report, Yahoo, sorry, uh, all have Corey Kispert. Mm-hmm. Um, James Booknight is dropping to us in the Fox Mock, which I don't put a lot of stock in because they had some crazy stuff on their board, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, and then Bleacher Report has Chris Duarte from Oregon. Yeah, of of those names, um, can you give folks just a sense for which ones you would most like to see and and why that might be? So when Albert Lee and Diamond Holtman and I did the mock draft with uh, SB Nation, hmm. uh, we ended up had we ended up taking Kispert. Uh, we we had it down to basically Kispert and Shangun and Duarte. And uh, Shangun went one pick ahead of us. So we went ahead and went with Kispert. Book Knight is a guy I've done a lot of work on, um, in part because when I first entered the numbers, you know, he's... They were probably I bad, say, I would imagine. Yeah, it's not, not good. I mean, he was well down, like, in the second round. And then he didn't go to the um, combine. or he, he, So I had to go and watch a bunch of tape on him and... So I upgraded his athleticism score because I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything in there for him. Mm-hmm. So I upgraded that. And when I did, that moved him up into, you know, mid first round, um, like late lottery, right around 15. I mean, if he's sitting there at 15, I'd consider taking him. Um, I, but of those people, Kispert has the highest grade. Um, and then Moses Moody, another one who's, if he falls, he'd be a guy I'd strongly consider. He and, and Kispert basically have the same score. In Yoda. So both of them rate as top 10 picks. Um, so in, in most drafts, they would they would be a, a top 10 grade in Yoda. So um, Trent Murphy is does not rate very well. I have him rated like in the 50s. Okay. Wow. He I, I've tried in part because I've got a good friend who is a huge Virginia fan. And I've tried to come up with ways to move him up, and I just can't do it. So you know, he's big, which is good, but it doesn't play big. Yeah. He didn't rebound and doesn't get assists and doesn't block shots and doesn't steal the ball. And, you know, he can shoot it and he does finish well inside, but that that's all he does. I mean, it's, it's not like, like Otto Porter, for example, was criticized for being passive. He Murphy uses fewer possessions than Porter did in college and Porter also rebounded and defended. And, uh, you know, Murphy obviously defends because he's at Virginia, but uh, he doesn't rebound. That's for sure. And so it's like big doesn't really do a whole lot for you if you don't, like you said, if you don't play big. 
So like there are some of these guys where like I would try to make a case for context, like, you know, maybe uh, they had like Jay Huff taking up a lot of space in the middle. So they needed the shooting or, you know, their their point guard literally can't shoot a three. So like things like that, you could say maybe, all right, that really kind of threw him out on the wing. But they were desperate for people to be able to like put the ball on the floor and create. And Trey Murphy literally just didn't seem to be able to do that, which is also a little scary for me and, and Kispert specifically gets sort of uh, like labeled as just like a spot up shooter, but he's really good at like attacking a closeout and sort of repositioning himself. And yeah, he's a much more versatile scorer than, and then I think people give him credit for Did the numbers kind of bear that out? Yeah. Yes. I would say yes. Um, you know, certainly when I w- reviewed tape on him, he, he shoots well on the move. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's not just a catch and shoot guy. He, he, he does a lot of things out there and, um, you know, he, he rebounds a little bit for his, for his um, size, you know, about six rebounds per 40 and um, he finishes well uh, inside. And obviously he shoots really well from the free throw line. And uh, you know, he, he didn't get to the free throw line a ton, but he got there enough, you know? And uh, so I, and I think he could also probably play some shooting guard if you needed him to. Agreed. Um, so I could see him in that, uh, you know, in that wing mold where he, he is a little on the small side for the small forwards, at least by the way I run things in Yoda. But on the small side is, you know, we're, we're talking about inches and it's not like it's going to be debilitating for him. He'll get his, get his shots. And, and like you said, I think he moves well, he cuts well, and um, he can attack closeouts and, you know, I, if you're getting him at 15, I think you're getting nice value. Especially if they're committed to this path. I do. I, well, first of all, I have some issues with that anyway, but uh, yeah, too, Moody is a guy I would prefer over Kispert, if only because he kind of serves both things. I think both potential future outcomes for this team. He's got yeah. a little bit of room to, to grow here. You know, I, I don't know how much he's ever going to like create for himself or others, but there's more of a potential, I think just given his age, but he's also not a great athlete. He's a little longer than Kispert. I would imagine they're probably a similar height. He's a little more slightly built than Kispert at this point, or at least Kispert's got, he's also younger. Exactly. So Kispert's got the grown man strength already Yeah, Uh, shot a little lower percentage, but again, I think some of that's role and fit and he looked to kind of like, tire out at the end of the season a little bit, which I think hurt the numbers, but shot looks really good. Uh, if, if it's draft night and they're both there and you had to take one of the two, uh, would you go Kispert or Moody? Uh, man, flip a coin, right? Um, so with, with Moody, the, the couple red flags that kind of show up for him that don't show up for Kispert are, one, he did shoot worse from three-point range. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, he, he didn't finish well inside. We're talking 48% from two-point range versus Kispert being 63% uh, from two. Um, so Kispert is definitely the better shooter. Um, Moody rebounded a little bit better. Kispert, a few more assists. I think that what you're looking at there between the two is more – I mean, Kispert scored more points – and using slightly fewer possessions than Moody did. Sure. Um, so I think what you're looking at between the two is Kispert is like, is, is the significantly better shooter. Moody is probably a little bit better, is going to be better defensively. And so I think you're kind of deciding which one you prefer. I think for the Wizards and the way that they think, they would probably take Kispert. Um, I'm thinking about how many times that, like, for example, years ago, they signed Darius Sangaila yep. when they were awful defensively. And their, their whole purpose of signing Sangaila was to play pick and, pick and pop with uh, Antonio Daniels, right? And, I mean, then everybody got hurt and all kinds of crazy stuff happened. And, I mean, they might have had, like, five possessions of pick and pop between the two of them. <laughs> so those were the good old days. Yeah. So if I were picking, I'd probably go Kispert. Uh, there just because I think the shooting is something that translates and, you know, he, he's a little older and m- more ready to, to play in the NBA right now. I think Moody might take a couple of years to get stronger and to um, sort of learn the, the NBA game, catch up with the speed of it, that kind of thing. 
both guys have been sort of solidly in that range all year, which actually makes me feel good about either of them ending up with the Wizards. I, I feel much more, I, I don't know, confident that, hey, this guy you know stayed in this range the whole year. Opinions didn't sort of wildly shift. Yeah, that seems like a reasonable way that that, that folks think about him. Trey Murphy is a scary one to me. Yeah. Uh, because the athleticism pops in a workout, the shooting pops in a workout. And like you mentioned, he disappeared for long stretches, you know, for UVA this year, but even at rice, the two years before that, uh, you know, that's a s- significant drop down in, in league and level of play. And he relatively produced about at the same rate. So it, it's not like he was dominating at rice and sort of shifted up to the ACC and then became more of a complimentary piece. He, he kind of did the same thing at a lower level and and that scares me with, with regard to how he'll now take an even bigger jump forward. Did, yeah. did that factor into the sort of 50 rating you gave him to like his original kind of no, college numbers? No, um, I, I used the, the final year Got because it. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I try not to sort of grade on the curve and say, well, he's mm-hmm. improving or he's not improving. So sure. I'm going to upgrade or downgrade him. I, I want to look at what they do. Now, sometimes I will take a look just to see, and I'll run players through as kind of an exercise to, you know, previous seasons. And I have not done that with Murphy because like I said, I looked at him and there, there just isn't anything there that jumps out at me. And is like, wow, this guy should be a top pick, a first round pick. He just looks like kind of generic college player would be willing to bet that that does not do him any favors. If you're six, nine and you're a wing and you're that athletic, but you average like 11 a game or whatever he was at rice, that, that seems like a red flag to me as well. Yeah. Uh, Usually if, what you would want to see is the player dominate at a lower yeah. level and, and absolutely, you know, and a, an example of that is um, Kenneth free at uh, Moorhead state, right. Where, he he graded out as like a you know a, somewhere in the in the teens in in Yoda because while he did play at a small school he just torched that league he annihilated it. I think he had like a thirty and twenty game as a college kid like it's yeah, unreal yeah I mean and we're talking he, yeah he he crushed I mean I I even just as an exercise went back and dug up um, Dennis Rodman's college stats okay and they're freaky you, you, people talk about like. I mean, he rebounded. It, seriously, go go find his stats, people, because they're just nuts what he did at that level. He completely destroyed the league that he was playing. And he didn't score at all in the NBA, and he still scored as a college player, too. Like, yeah. you, could, you know, they might have been all putbacks and stuff, but. I'm, I'm sure it was all putbacks and running the floor and yeah. just like dunking on people but <laughs> because he was that much physically better than everybody else that was there. Uh, the other couple, well, the other name here that that's gotten mentioned with the Wizards that, that we haven't talked about yet much is is Chris Duarte. Probably, I would have to guess is probably the oldest prospect in the draft, if not one of the two or three oldest. Uh, he'll be 24 by the time the NBA season starts, which is is pretty wild to think about when some of these guys are are 18 and 19. Yeah. Uh, he seems like he's got a promise from somebody. He got invited to the green room, if I remember correctly. There's been some rumors that the Warriors are looking at him at 14. That could also be the Wizards at 15. He did come in for a workout, which I heard went reasonably well. Uh, what What do you think about Duarte? So he's one where, you know, that, that age factor matters, right? And Okay, so the strengths with Duarte, he can really shoot it. He's a very good shooter. He's probably the second best shooter in the draft behind Kispert. Um, And, you know, he finished well 63% in uh, two-point range, so he finished well 42% from from three on a good volume, uh, 81% from the line, where – and and he he got he his numbers show some defensive impact as well. We're talking about more than two steals per forty minutes, almost a block per forty, mm-hmm. which is pretty good for a wing. And um, his rebounds not great, um, but he does have some playmaking as well. So there's some promise there. I mean, he can definitely do things like attack a closeout, that kind of stuff. The the thing with him is that he is 24, mm-hmm. and so he's further down. I have him in the 20s because that age adjustment comes in there and so 
the way that the age adjustment works is, you know, if he's 23 years old, he's going up against 18, 19 year olds. He should, he should be, be putting up huge numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And his numbers were good, but they weren't like mind-blowingly good. Sure. And so for him to like rate higher in Yoda, they would have needed to be, I guess, mind-blowingly good. So the way Yoda works, in, in other words, is like identical stats against identical competition from a player who's 18 versus a player who's say 22, 23, the, the play, it's more impressive coming from the 18 year old. And so you would, you would, the, the 18 year old rank higher because you're forecasting him as growing into a better NBA player with Duarte, you know, 24 is not old and certainly there's room for 24 year olds to continue to improve. He's likely to be able to shoot immediately in the NBA. He's likely to be able to do some things like you know, close out and probably, you know, defend a little bit, um, probably switch between, you know, threes and, you know, one through three or something like that. Um, I could even see him potentially, well, probably not. I was about to say potentially against some, some fours, but maybe some of the like small forwards who are playing four now, but you know, I can see the argument for picking him at 15. If I, you know, for the wizards, because he's, he's, he is a little older. Theoretically, he's, he's going to be ready. You know, he's closer to a finished product and he could theoretically mesh in well with, uh, you know, Beal and Westbrook, um, in a in a lineup. So I could see the argument for that. And he, like I said, his numbers are good. It's just that for someone that age, you you would want them to be better. I've had this kind of argument or debate or conversation or whatever with a couple of people in the last year or two that I'm actually more okay now taking an older prospect, if only because. And, and I've been too lazy to do the homework thus far to see how many players actually, you know, stick around for their second contract in the place that drafts them. Yeah. So if you're going to take a Zaire Williams, who's supposedly kind of quickly rising up draft boards and, and kind of establishing himself back around the lottery, odds are he probably doesn't become a productive contributor for you until, you know, the tail end of that rookie deal. And what are the chances you feel confident enough about him yet to sign him to a bigger money deal? So in terms of getting value out of a rookie scale deal, I think there's a reasonable argument to say, uh, you know, a 22 year old even is, is, I don't know, more socially acceptable now than it was, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, uh, especially with which kind of all the player movement. Do you buy into that at all, Kim? Yeah, I do. In fact, um, you know, that it's one of the things that I play with constantly the that age adjustment mm-hmm. um, i've at first it, i made it too weak and um, then so i had uh marcus denman like one year there you go popped way up at the top right yeah. because that guy was phenomenal mm-hmm. in missouri now he was little and he couldn't really play point guard but they were fun to watch went overseas first drafted him and i was like oh see i was right yeah. <laughs> and then he went overseas and he broke his foot and then he like broke it again and washed out of uh, basketball but um so that was year one and then i've strengthened it and i think it, maybe there were a couple of years where i had it maybe too strong and i think i've got the goldilocks uh point in right now but you know that, that age adjustment i know the teams are struggling with that as well or are messing with it because you know like the cleveland cavaliers when they drafted anthony bennett uh first overall one of the reasons why is they had a really strong age adjustment on there and he was young and you know, I, I had him lower down, still pretty high, but low, lower down, uh, certainly not a no, worth a number one pick. And um, so you, that's one of the areas that you, it just has to, you have to, I have to keep playing with it and fine tuning it. Um, but your point is good that a lot of times, especially if you're taking a really young player, is realistically, you're kind of picking that player for their next team. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to develop them, you're going to invest a lot. And, you know, if you, if you hit with him and he starts breaking through and say, you know, end of his second year and get years three and four, and then you sign him to another deal, you've done pretty well. Um, but you think about a guy like Kelly Oubre, um, you know, who the Wizards picked and, you know, his best years have all been yeah, post Washington, you know, and he's been okay. He, he's not like he's become a star, but you know, he's been, he's become a decent NBA player. And um, some of that is because of the, um, developmental work he did with the Wizards. 
I think the opposite side of the coin from Chris, uh, Chris Duarte is going to be Josh Primo this year. He's probably one of the two or three youngest guys in the draft, six, six wing, you know, was on a veteran team. Didn't really get a, you know, a whole lot of usage this year, but looked good, worked out well. And, and to your point, I think we'll see which teams sort of, uh, you know, favor those, those young players. And, and I think somebody will probably end up taking him, in the first round. And, and I didn't really see anything on the court that really, you know, merited that. But if, if they're really going to project out, you know, you got more, it's, it's more easy to project somebody much younger like him than an 18 year old. Yeah. I, I would say, I don't really see much of the numbers to commend him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a first round pick. I, I mean, I would have him with a second round grade at best. Yeah. Um, man. I mean, we're talking 50% two-point shooting. So he he's suggesting he struggled inside. He didn't rebound, didn't get assists. I mean, he... Yeah. Shooting was okay. You know, nothing special. Yeah. yeah. Nothing nothing mind-blowing there. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement, but that's that's a name where, you know, a couple teams supposedly are high enough on him that they expect him to maybe sneak into the first round. And, and to your point, I, I didn't have him anywhere near my personal top 50, so... Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, I've got him... Let me see, like 63rd. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, is it sortable what you have up, Kevin? I would be curious to see who actually is the youngest prospect in the draft. If, if you have, uh, I don't have the age entered like that. So Got it. Okay. I can't, uh, can't do that. But I, I know he's up there, and, and, and that's probably part of it. Um, so I don't know. He, he could very well work out for somebody. Uh, just, just sort of switching gears back to Duarte for a second. I see him a little bit more as a two because he, he did struggle to guard bigger players in his, you know, his time at Oregon and, and got a little bit kind of beat around earlier in his career by, by older, bigger guys, sort of what he did to people later in his career. But it reminds me a lot of that. Uh, well, the Oregon connection for a two guard is a little lazy, I guess, but, but Dylan Brooks is sort of the name that, that I see in, I don't think you were particularly high on or aren't still particularly high on, on Brooks either, but, but that's kind of the guy that, uh, correct on that both. I see most there. Yeah. Correct. On both counts. I, uh, Dylan Brooks, the thing I like about him is he is a tough SOB. Yeah. You need he that. Will, he will defend. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the trouble with, with Brooks is that his irrational confidence has him doing things, attempting to do things offensively that he mm-hmm. really shouldn't be doing. And, you know, he'd be much better if he stuck to, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name, but I'm thinking of the guy from uh, OKC who, who hurt oh. his knee really badly. Uh, Andre a- Roberson. Yes, yes, yes. So that's who I'm thinking of. And so if he stuck to that role and basically shot went only open and stopped trying to make plays and just, you know, leave it to his teammates, I think that he would be, he would be a much more effective player. Uh, just just closing out the wings here real quick. Two other names that have gotten a little buzz around the Wizards-ish from some mock drafts, sort of less recent ones. But Usman Garuba, Spanish prospect. Well, they played in Spain this last year uh, in, in the ACB League, which is obviously, everybody says, is the highest league outside of, of the NBA. Uh, so that's, that's reasonable um, competition level. And then Jalen Johnson at a Duke, if either of those guys were kind of, you know, on the wizards board and they were both left at 15 and some of those other guys are gone. So uh, under, under basically under no circumstance, would I pick Garuba at 15. Beautiful. Um, yeah. We're on the so, same page again. Yeah. Garuba to me, I don't think he can play wing in the NBA. Agreed. I don't think he has the skills. I, when I've, I, I've watched some tape on him because in part, because I wondered why he was so high up and, now that guy, he is a freaky athlete. He's uh-huh. a terrific athlete, um, but I think he's a he's a he's really a five. Um, yep. I think he could play some power forward some, but he doesn't really shoot it well. He doesn't handle the ball well. He doesn't. I mean, he he reminds me a little bit of Ben Wallace, just in the sense that he is very limited offensively, and he's a very good defender. Um, so I could see picking him. Like if I had a second round pick and he was sitting there, I would sure I'd take him. And um, get him with a shot doctor, and see if I could get him to play some stretch four, just to you know, 
just so I could get his defense on because he's he's a guy who could switch every position on the yeah. floor, you know. And um, I think that he could be, you know, if he if he could pass the ball, if he had like actual offensive skill, he could be a Draymond Green type on defense. He's I was really impressed with him defensively. That said, I I, I don't think he can play wing in the NBA because you've got to be able to shoot, you've got to be able to make plays. He can't on offense. This is part of my continued personal war against John Hollinger, but on a recent John Hollinger, Chad Ford podcast, they talked about both uh, Evan Mobley and Usman Garuba as two guys I see as mostly fives that they thought could both potentially play some amount of three in the NBA, which I, I thought it makes even less sense for Garuba than it does for Mobley, which is crazy considering Mobley is almost seven feet tall. I just didn't see anything there to your point that projected as like translatable perimeter skill. Yeah. No, I think also the, the way, at least, I mean, I haven't studied this in any kind of detail, but my sense is that it's much better for guys to play up a position than it is mm-hmm. for them to play down one. So sure. like with Mobley, I think he'd be much better off playing center yep. than he would trying to play small forward um, just because, you know, at small forward, he, he really doesn't have. Um, There's no mismatch there. Yeah. He doesn't have the skills uh, to, to play on the perimeter the way you want uh, the modern threes to play. And defensively, he's going to have to get into a crouch and move his feet. And, but what's the point of, of having a guy with his size and hops out on the perimeter rather than say, exactly. rim, you know, or as a primary responsibility. So it just doesn't end with Garuba again. I mean, he's got no skills. So what would the point be? <laughs> and, and that's exactly where I was at. Can you hear folks that swear that he's, you know, I, I see him as like a more athletic, smaller, uh, like it's the Bismack Biombo thing to me. Like, I, I just don't know what the translatable skills are other than like, he will make life uncomfortable for whoever he's matched up with. Um, yeah. I, yes. Well, I will say this, he's he's much more flexible and like uh, yeah, for sure. than say Bismarck, sure. Yambo, but I I really think he would need to play four or five, and I could see him like fitting in someplace like Golden State, for example, mm-hmm. if they could get him in the second round, where they just use him basically set screens and roll to the hoop. I I think I wrote about him. I'm not sure if I, I wrote this about him or not, but anyway. Um, you know, even using him as a, um, you know, in pick and roll is kind of, you're, you're limiting yourself there because he sets the screen and then his only play is to run to the rim. Yeah. And if you can throw him a lob, great, but you can, you can switch that without any concern. And, um, you know, it, it, you're very limited. He's not like he can pop. He can't make a pass out of the short roll. He can't uh, pull up and shoot a jumper on the short roll. I mean, it's just, you're really limited with him. I pissed off some other draft folks by calling him bigger Dominic McGuire, who I actually liked, by the way, but that was not particularly well received. And I just, I just don't see any world where he's more than that, like level of production in the NBA personally. Well, I I think he could be, but I think it would, you know, he would have to add, get get a lot stronger. He would have to play, be able to like hold his own playing five. And that's where I think he could have some impact. Uh, and then the other one, Jalen Johnson, he was a guy that was uh, sort of everybody had as a, I don't know, I'd say at least like a top 10 pick, probably a guaranteed lottery pick on all preseason boards, and then had a very weird year at Duke, left the team early, the team realistically looked better without him, so there was some chemistry concerns. Do you kind of adjust for any of that sort of stuff at all when when it's like, hey, the numbers are good, you know, what might be missing here that that this guy has dropped off because he may have had maybe three or four of the best individual performances of any prospect in this draft this year. The problem is you only played like 11 games or, or whatever it is. And the sample size is so small. So how do you kind of account for someone like him where there was just like weird stuff going on in the background? Yeah. So well, one of the, I have this, so the way I account for things like, you know, physical tools, like height and agility, athleticism, is is with basically it's like a bonus so i get the, a score a production score and then i add in things and then i also have a category a column that i call intangibles and so intangibles would be like um you know with kate cunningham for example 
I gave him a bonus, uh, basically a bonus point there because his team sucked so bad. He had no shooting. <laughs> no one could hit a shot. Yeah. Right. And so you watch him play and you can see the decision-making. You can see him make the right play. Um, but because his teammates were so bad, it, it's like, you know, the, the shot gets missed. Whereas in the NBA, if he makes that pass out to say Davis Bertans, <laughs> right. Bertans is going to hit that shot. 45, 50% of the time, right? Versus 25%, which is what his teammates were doing. Yeah, if that. So uh, with Jalen Johnson, I do have a negative in there in, for intangibles, basically because he quit on his team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like a, a, a ding and that moves him down. But I, he still does break pretty high. Um, there are red flags like all over. It's, it's just weird because there's red flags all over. So first of all, he's 54% from two-point range, which is not very good. Uh, for his size size and athleticism right but he's 44 percent from three-point range and but then 63 percent from the free throw line it's like well pick a lane can you Mm -hmm. shoot not shoot (laughs) and the volume's low so it's like but he rebounds well and he gets assists and you're like okay that's pretty good a lot of steals a lot of blocks which suggests that he's active defensively but then he turns it over he had more turnovers than assists last season so it's like it's kind of all over the place. Now, turnovers are not always a bad sign um, because a lot of times they're a sign of activity and of, of guy trying to make plays. And mm-hmm. a lot of times the trying to make plays is, is what you want more than anything else because for many players, as they get into NBA coaching, as they get more experience, the turnovers will come down. Um, it doesn't always happen. I mean, with John Wall, for example, you know, coming into coming out of college, it was like if he could improve his shooting, cut down on his turnovers, he'd be awesome. And you know, as when he went down with his torn Achilles, you know, for the heel surgery and all that stuff, we were still saying the same thing: if he could shoot better and cut down on his turnovers, he'd be really awesome. So, if you listen to like a Chad Ford talk about Kid Cunningham and why he shouldn't go number one, he he points to that turnover number, and and I'm with you. I think. You know, for someone like that, that's got the ball that much against a college defense that's packed in and he's trying to force the ball, you know, force things to happen. He's getting some grenades at the end of shot clocks and trying to make things happen. You know, like I I think there's just more noise there that I wouldn't let that be the part of the box score that dissuades me from taking someone that, you know, checks sort of all the other major boxes. Yeah. I mean, I don't have Kate Cunningham number one, but, um, you know, I do have him fifth. So it's not like I I haven't, um, you know, rated really low. Mm. For me, like a bigger concern would be the 46% from two-point range. Yeah. Um, so would it indicate that there are some questions about him athletically, um, which I understand um, from from this various scouting reports and from looking at some film, you know, he's he's not like a – he's not a LeBron James athletically. You know? Exactly. He, yeah, he's probably solid to average-ish, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I think he's fine, and I think he'll be a good pro. So I'm, I'm not down on him at all. Like I said, I've, he's still fifth. So it's not like, you know, I have 20th or something. Yeah, I had him a lot lower at the beginning of the year just because I, I didn't actually think he would shoot it anywhere near as well. So he ended up shooting it this year, especially considering, you know, he was the only probably name that showed up on most scouting reports from, from opposing teams. Yeah. And he was almost 85% from the free throw line too. So yeah, which is, he, he can shoot. Yep. I, yeah. I love it. Um, Kevin, before we close out here, throw me a name out that we haven't talked about that if, if something out of left field happened and the wizards ended up kind of surprising us a little bit again here, and like they did with, with Rui Hatchmore a couple of years ago, who's that name or who would you want to be? kind of that guy that that maybe folks aren't really talking about in this range that you think could kind of really fill a need for them? Well, I mean, we actually did mention his name before. We didn't talk about him too much, but Joel Iyayi. Mm-hmm. Um, I have him 11th overall in the draft. I would oh. love to get him second round. But, like, yeah. if the Wizards picked him, so it's just said, you know what, he's our guy, and they pick him 15th. One, I think that would be kind of crazy because I think they could get him later. Sure. But, two – I would say that they've gotten a good player. You know, I think that uh, yeah, you can play in the NBA. I think he's going to have a nice career as a combo guard. Um, you know, I, if he gets to the right spot. Yeah. So that would be one. And then another, there's another guy too. Um, 
I wouldn't necessarily say pick him at 15. I, this is another one I would say buy into the second round mm-hmm. to pick him. And that's Joe Weiskamp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he popped up pretty good. Um, sort of a swing man from, from Iowa, a little on the small side, but that guy can shoot. He can really shoot. So, and he, he rebounded really well for his, for his position too. Monster athlete too. Didn't always like pop off the tape, but that was a guy who had like a very good combine from that perspective. Yeah. And I think um, maybe I'll throw out a couple more names here. Please. I'm um, Kai Jones is a guy we haven't talked about. Okay. You know, he's, He's somebody I, think I expected good. you to be low on. I'm actually surprised by this. Well, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily again want to pick him 15. I think I've got him. I, I have him a little lower than that. But okay, you know, it's not like out of the realm. I think that he's, you know, again like a forward center type. Mm-hmm. Um, he can shoot a little bit. Um, you know, rebounded okay. It's just I think that would be like a a reach for a star potential sure. kind of guy. That my concern would be that you're picking a guy who is like. Uh, the super athlete and hoping he would grow into uh, being a great player. So, and then another sort of dark horse, crazy pick maybe would be somebody like Jared Butler from uh, Baylor. Uh, Again, I think the 15 would be too early for for him, but that guy can play. And I think he'll make a nice pro. This is a draft where I think I would much prefer to have the 23rd pick and the 32nd pick than the 15th pick. So if they can trade down, I'm all for that because I think you can get the same level contributor, you know, another 15 spots later, uh, in in my opinion. I mean, maybe less star potential, but, you know, Kai Jones, like for people that just watch highlight tapes, you're like, holy shit, this is the next Giannis. And then if you watch an entire game, you're like, wait, which one was Kai Jones? Like, (laughs) he's he's a tough guy to, to evaluate. And a friend of mine that's a prep school coach played them his prep school year. And just said like the leaps that that guy's made in two years, even like he showed flashes then. And they were like, that's a pro. I don't know that they expected lottery pick, but so he's a late bloomer. You know, he's from the Bahamas. He's a guy that is still not really put it all together, but at a certain point, like you said later in the first round, maybe that that's, that becomes kind of worth the risk. Yeah. Like I said, I I wouldn't want to pick him 15, but there's enough that's popped in the numbers there to make me think that he has, has potential. And so, you know, if I was a loaded team, uh, you know, picking like, the, I let's put it this way, like somebody like the Lakers, for example. Yeah. Take a um, shot. Grabbing him, you know, they have, because they've got a, a rotation of guys ahead of them and uh, there's, there's some potential there. Yeah, if, if he can learn anything from from Davis or pick up some of that motor stuff from Harold, like that would be a sweet spot for someone like him, I think. And, and you see guys like uh, Nick Claxton even playing big minutes in a playoffs for Brooklyn. Like it wouldn't surprise me if if Kai Jones goes later in the first and ends up actually even as a raw player still being able to play some minutes for somebody next year. Yeah, and he makes me think a little bit of a conversation that I had with um, John Thompson years ago mm-hmm. when I was at uh, g- going into Wizards games on press pass, and mm-hmm. we talked about the how how good players can be if they will limit themselves to doing things they're good at doing. Yeah, you know, and Thompson was talking about it. We were talking about it in terms of uh, certain big men, <laughs> and um, that uh, your normal podcast partner played with, and uh, just. You know, you don't have to go out there and like play on the perimeter and show off that you have skills. If you're a big man, go inside, rebound, block shots, dump the ball. And if you just do those things, you're going to be a good player. That's one Larry's talked about a lot is just sort of do what you do, you know, and that's his advice sort of looking back on on his years to guys is just really focus on what kind of got you to the league and, and the example everybody kind of has thrown out too. Like we've had other draft folks on that, that have thrown out the same one I always throw out, but is the, you know, when they asked Andre Drummond in interviews, what he thought he'd be in the NBA, he said, Kevin Durant. And that, that would terrify me in an interview. If, yeah. you know, you ask Kai Jones that, and he, you know, he says he's the next Durant or someone. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, if, if Kai Jones, if Kai Jones said I'm the next um, DeAndre Jordan. Okay. Good live with that. Yep. Uh, one last one for you real quick. This is a guy I'm higher on than pretty much everybody, I think, at this point. Uh, and, and you wrote about him a little bit in your guard article, but I didn't see a range. So I was curious where you had this guy. Uh, Jaden Springer from Tennessee. 
James Springer. Jaden Springer. Springer. Yeah, I've got him in the 20s. Um, I I should go back in and put the range in. Um, Like late first, I like him. I mean, I think that he's got some potential. Um, Again, that low two-point percentage is a little concerning. Mm -hmm. Um, And rebounds pretty well for a point guard. Um, Some playmaking, decent steals, um, decent blocks too. So... Yeah, I like him. I'd probably a little more turnovers than I'd like for um, based on the um, assist uh, assist totals. And he was probably but, uh, barely barely above like one to one. I would think. What's his size like? I, I don't recall that. Often. He's like six three to six four. I think they list him at six four. He's probably not actually that big. I saw him play once in high school. Maybe he's grown since then, but he's like sturdily built and and sort of already like a strong physical defender. Like. Then I think the knock has been some folks that he played a lot of bully ball and they don't know that he'll be able to do that in the league. But I like a dude that comes in as a freshman and is like, hey, senior, I'm going to bump you around. Like that would actually be a plus in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, a physical guard. So, I mean, I could see him then as like a combo guard because looking at the numbers, he seems like a classic kind of combo guard. Yeah. He's a one, two. He couldn't be sort of one or the other, I don't think. Yeah. And I could see him. He makes me, again, in the numbers, he makes me think a little bit of Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. And then your description of him as being sturdily built yep. definitely describes Kyle Lowry. <laughs> the the thing everybody talked about, too, and if you watch him in high school, like he would dunk on people. And that no one really saw that this year. And I guess it's recently come out that he had like a really bad ankle injury that sort of never healed up. And, and I think that starts to explain a little bit of the you know, the low two point percentage and things like that. And, and maybe some hesitancy to, you know, t- take it strong to the hoop on guys. If you don't feel like you have your sturdy, sturdy limbs under you, I would say. Yeah. His, his agility scores in the, in the combine were not good, mm-hmm. which maybe that's related also to the injury. Good. But uh, he jumped well, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. Like he, he got also knocked because he's a two footed jumper, but not a one footed jumper. And I'm like, at a certain point, I'm like, when did these things start to become what we like prioritized over? Like, Hey, this guy was 18 and played on a good team and made a really big impact and has room to grow. Like, I don't remember hearing like guys getting knocked for high hips, you know, 10 years ago, but now that's all you hear. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I say, he's a guy, especially like if the Wizards moved into the second round and picked him, I feel like, hey, that's a nice pick. Sure. It's a nice pick. I suspect they're, you know, the, the guy I'd want them to move into the second round to get would be Joel Iyai. But um, if, like I said, if they picked up Jaden Springer there, I'd be I'd be pretty good with that. Yeah, for anybody that hasn't seen Iyai, since we've talked about him probably more than most podcasts would at this point with a team with only a 15th pick, uh, 6-4-ish. Can play a little one, two, maybe even some three. Yeah. Handles the ball pretty well, shoots it pretty well, distributes it pretty well, defends pretty well. Just like a guy that could be like that utility player for a team that could very much use somebody with some, you know, positional versatility. So I, yeah. I'm totally with you there. The Wizards could definitely use. I mean, if they had had a guy like last season, for example, with certainly with the kind of pro, he's he's the kind of guy who would have started instead of Neto and would have given you a little bit of size and he needs to get stronger, you know, and it's a little concerning that he hasn't put on, he hasn't gotten much stronger, you know, now that he's a junior. Um, but figure you'd hope anyway, with NBA trainers and uh, nutrition that he could, you know, when he's not eating like a college kid that, uh, you know, maybe he could get stronger and, and that kind of stuff. But like you said, I mean, he's, he rebounds like crazy. And he, he does a little bit of everything else really well. And you need a guy like that. And um, I, I think he's got, especially if you get him in the second round, I think he has real potential to help a team out. Yeah, I, I totally agree. If, if we somehow end up at 40 on draft night and, and he's there, I'm, I'm very okay with, with that being the pick. I, like you said, I wouldn't do it at 15, but you know, you'd get killed for that in a G. I don't think it's realistic that he would go at 15. Maybe not even that I wouldn't do it, but I mean, if I was the GM, I would not take him at 15 because right. I think I could get him at, you know, 35, 40, exactly. um, somewhere in there. So I would, but I would, I would try to get him in, in that range. And if I, you know, couldn't get him there, I'd try to get him after the draft because I think he's going to be pretty good. And I'd like to get him, get him in my group. Now I will say I'm a, I've grown long accustomed to 
you know, having guys who look pretty good, have first round values, have them be on the board when the Wizards pick and having the Wizards pick somebody else. That's the, pretty much the story of my life at this point. I'm like, no, no, you got to take this guy. And, and we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, this was great. Thank you for doing this. Uh, again, I, I watch a lot of film on, on, on these guys, just mostly because I am up late and college basketball is still on. So that helps, yeah. especially with WCC guys like uh, Yai. So, so that's pretty good for me, but it, it always helps to have the kind of dual perspective there. And it makes me feel a little better when, when we're aligned on, on a lot of these guys. So yeah. uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you for giving me overall a sanity check that, that I'm not sort of insane. So I appreciate that as, uh, as a starter. <laughs> What do you got coming up? Like, what are the the next couple articles? Uh, anything else draft related that, that folks should look out for in the next couple of days? Yeah, so I did guards yesterday. I well on Saturday I did a story where I aggregated some mock drafts, mm-hmm. put them together, and looked at who were the most likely players to be available to the Wizards at fifteen. So, and then did a little bit of a sort of a short synopsis on each of those. Um, this morning I published an article looking at the guards. And uh, so let's see, for tomorrow, it'll be forwards. Uh, for Wednesday, it'll be bigs. And so bigs being guys who have to play power forward or are power forward centers. They're, they're more, you know, limited. So a guy who could potentially play three or four, um, they would be in the forward group. Somebody who's like a pure power forward or power forward center. would be mm-hmm. So, and I'm only doing top 10 uh, of each of those. And then, Day of the draft, I'll put out um, the the rankings of the you know top 30, 40, 50 players, something like that. I until like I get it. tired of typing. Folks, make sure to check that one out on draft day. Give you a nice long read and something you can have open and quickly scroll to uh, when you know they inevitably cut to a Taco Bell commercial or something during the Wizards pick. Yeah, and definitely when I put out the rankings, you should you should absolutely one hundred percent use them to completely mock the Wizards or every other team for <laughs> not picking the players I have in the order that I have them ranked. Because of course, my my listing is completely definitive. Uh, the nice the nice thing is here, no matter who the Wizards pick, at least fifty percent of the fan base will openly mock it, no matter what. Yeah, well, and then there'll be like a, a solid forty percent that will, no matter who. I mean, they could pick me, and they'll be like, well. You know, there's good reasons for that because, and then they'll argue about why. For the next five years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I love confirmation bias overall. I think that's sort of our strong suit as a fan base. Yes, uh, that's true. (laughs) As a species. Yeah, even more so. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much. I appreciate being very generous with your time. I didn't even mean for us to go over an hour here, but always a lot of good stuff to, to talk about this time of year. Hey, it was fun. Thanks. Uh, all right, everybody. Again, that's Kevin Broom. Check him out on Bullets Forever and uh, plenty of draft stuff coming. And, and let us know if you have anybody you want us to talk about. Maybe we can do one of these after the draft to talk about who they end up going with. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done